Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 153 for Monday, August 9th, 2021. My name is Johnny, but the internet knows me as Pixel Riffs, and joining me as always is a freshly grilled Joel Duggan. Hi, Joel. I am hamburger, and I am happy <laughs> to report that I am also full of hamburger. Uh, mm -hmm. It was a good weekend, suffice to say. Uh, speaking of the things that we do outside of the show, though, uh, if you want to hear more about uh, vacation plans, the, uh, the history of Walt Disney and uh, what we may be reading over the next little while, check out The Render Distance. It's the extended version of the podcast. You can listen to it at patreon.com slash thespawnchunks. By becoming a member, you can uh, support the show and get extra content. And I want to give a shout out to our listeners, some of whom have been listening for three years this week. The Spawn Chunks launched on August 10th, 2018, and it's been an absolute blast to talk about Minecraft news and gameplay every week. Bring on prominent Minecraft content creators, for interesting and fun chats, and most recently speak with some of the Minecraft development team here on the podcast. And we just want to say thanks for listening. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you. And it's it's great to have seen such a, a positive reaction. Uh, I mean, not that we expected much else because they're great people, but uh, to uh, Mr. Henrik and King B-Dog's interviews on the show, we've had a lot of really positive feedback from those. Uh, people were just really excited to hear their perspectives on developing Minecraft, and those have been two pretty major highlights. We're going to talk a bit more about our highlights of the last few years uh, in this week's discussion because it's been a relatively light week news-wise with a lot of the team on holiday and stuff. And uh, Joel and I have maybe had some fairly light weeks ourselves. Uh, what have you been up to on the Citadel this week? Well, we finally, finally wrapped up the uh, design and building of the zombie geode farm uh, on uh, on the server, and that was down by Southport, the modern city area, specifically because I happened to find a zombie spawner and a spider spawner next to a geode, and it was kind of like too, too good to pass up uh, as an opportunity to build something. So this was the... All the technical stuff was done. The storage system was done. Even had like a, an on-off garbage chute. Like I just basically was going through and making it look relatively cool. Um, not worrying too much about things other than just smoothing out bits of diorite and granite that were sticking in the walls. And if I'm there on stream uh, collecting some iron or, or not iron, but collecting some copper or whatever, I wanted to at least look like it's been, you know, well kept. And so we finished that up uh, and then we moved back actually to the medieval area and and that was actually fun bec uh, because it's been a while it's been gosh three weeks at least mm -hmm. um since i've done anything in the medieval area and so uh fresh out of the redstone world we went back up to uh the town which i've now named i've been holding off on this forever um i was going to call part of the town west hill but now I've just decided to call the entire town West Hill because now I can just refer to it as West Hill as opposed to the mouthful is that the medieval town. Like it just, mm -hmm. it flows off the tongue a little bit nicer. Uh, and yes, there is a hill in the West, which is how I named it. And uh, it's been nice to get back there and see the, the, the dense skyline of the town. And uh, we just did a very simple build on the weekend and it wasn't a plan. But we did end up using mostly 117 blocks in, in the structure of the build. We have a couple different forms of deep slate for the roof and a combination of tuff and andesite uh, in the walls for this little house that was kind of wedged between, if you remember the sawmill that I made several months ago uh, mm -hmm. and the bridge. Um, it's just kind of this little nondescript place. I, it doesn't have a function. It's just meant to fill the, the hole that was there. Um, but it has a unique kind of position of being perched very high on a cliff above the river. 
And so that presented some challenges on the backside and we're going to have like a little deck or porch or thing hanging out there and uh, don't really have a lot going on inside because like inside it's something like a, a three by four or less like it's not it's not a big space inside um, but there were some challenges like it's because of the scale you're trying to like not use all the same block and as soon as you start alternating alternating blocks it just gets very checkerboardy very quickly because the whole thing's only five blocks wide at the mm-hmm. base yeah so I found less is more. I found that, you know, you do the entire wall at a tough and then you've got two blocks of andesite. That's all you that's all you can really put in there without it looking too too grid like. Um but it it worked out really well. I was um tentative about the deep slate for the roof, but the combination of um deep slate tile on the edge and then cobbled deep slate on the main roof. Cobbled deep slate does look an awful lot like roof tile. Yeah. Uh, it works it works very well. The the only issue that we found as we were trying to figure out a different different block or different texture to border it, uh, Deep Slate has a very gray kind of neutral thing to it. And everything else we tried to put with it tended to look either too warm or too purple. Mm-hmm. So it, it, you do have some narrow choices there. But uh, I need to brush up a little bit more on, on how people are using Deep Slate. This, I, I'm sure the tile and Deep Slate texture that I, that I use, that combo, I'm sure I probably absent-mindedly borrowed that from whip uh yeah. watching some of his even just thumbnails going by i'm sure i've picked it up somewhere i, but, I was going to uh, recommend him as a uh, as a source mm. of like some good quality deep slate building because the guy has it as a a theme he's going with a, a slightly more gothic architectural style on the empire's smp right now and yeah he's he's got some pretty good ideas <laughs> I, he, he's one of those people who i'm sure looked at deep slate and looked at the the block palette it provided and just immediately had like you know ideas going cogs whirring in the head for uh, for how to use it but i think you've done well here i mean is is this bringing you around on blocks like tough because i know we were fairly you, you were on the fence about tough as being you know a block you were planning on using was it just like circumstantially it fits here to provide a bit of variety from the other stone types around it yeah, I think the circumstance was that I wanted something that wasn't just plain old stone to then contrast the deep slate, and we needed it to remain light mm-hmm. uh, because the deep slate is so dark. Uh, it is a little bit lighter in the screenshots with the with the shaders because of the sunlight, but in Minecraft without shaders, deep slate is a pretty dark block. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this the I've used tough before, but sparingly, kind of like next to mossy cobble. Yeah. Uh, in foundations and stuff and i do find it has its uses it's just that it, it's a um tough is a hard block to build uh, with a lot of uh and i think uh i'll see it more and this is something we discussed on the stream uh larger scale builds i think you'll be able to weasel in a lot more tough and deep slate and have it not be quite so stark yeah. um because of the low resolution of this small build like it's only five or seven blocks wide by six or seven blocks tall um any kind of change in a block, it's 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 very very apparent. Whereas if you had a large wall, um, I've seen a lot of builds online where they're large curtain walls or big castles that are thirty blocks tall, and the and the the gradient that they employ, you know, starts at the very bottom with like some deep slate or some even blackstone, and then it transitions into tough and then andesite and then stone. It looks really good, um, but this I just didn't have the room to do that in this build. But uh, I appreciate that. Like it's it's a it's been fun in the medieval area uh, and in this town of West Hill to work on my um, like micro building accents, like adding a little garden out front, um, finding little nooks to hang lanterns that make sense, uh, adding little paths between buildings that are only 
one or two blocks wide, which normally make me feel really claustrophobic, but something to do with the fact that you're in an open street and then there's a river on the other side of this. You don't really feel like that little five block long alleyway is that claustrophobic because it's not like you're in an underground tunnel, you know? Mm-hmm. And so learning to kind of accept when blocks butt up against each other, like this house touches the house next to it. There wasn't a way to do it without moving the whole thing. And I just didn't want to do it. And it's like, well, I'll just leave it and see how it looks. And it really after you kind of get past the initial, like, well, that's not the best, but at the same time, these kind of places in, in medieval towns would eventually touch one another, depending on how they were built and more rain cover is better and stuff like that. So it's, it's, uh, it's pretty good. I'm still, I have to confess, I like the way it looks. I don't know how well it looks with everything else in the neighborhood because it's the only deep slate roof. But, uh, I leave those kind of things for a while until I have other buildings set around it and I've made other decisions because all it's going to take is like a deep slate chimney or maybe a deep slate wall somewhere and all of a sudden it's going to feel more balanced as a neighborhood so yeah we'll see how it goes it starts to kind of appear more frequently in the block palette you're using and then it Mm -hmm. seems super intentional like you planned it that way all along I think going in going in with a measure of confidence about it is usually the the best way forward but no I, I I totally appreciate with the the houses being that close together it's something that I find myself self-avoiding and then I feel like my towns look worse as a result because I'm not building the houses close enough together that they feel natural I get too precious about the detail I've put into this wall that I don't want to build anything in front of it even though you know a tree might grow there or something and I I tend to want to look at my builds from all angles a whole bunch of times before I really allow myself to build anything up in front of them which means I end up making progress very slowly on projects like this or I end up building them too far apart so they just look like an unconnected series of houses rather than a a coherent town so i think you've got to kill your darlings when it comes to details like that um from my own neck of the woods i have not really done a huge amount in game this week i did a couple of episodes from my hardcore world and from the uh, the Empire's server. I finished my River Biome Drowned farm. That's now fully covered with tinted glass. Uh, and I haven't done a whole lot else because that involved just logging in frequently, gathering up, um, you know, amethyst crystals where I could get hold of them, and then farming a bunch of drowned which didn't make for good video content uh, also i'm having the hardest time for some reason getting riptide 3 out of the enchanting table i think i've got it once i maybe have a book that has it on it incidentally but it has a couple of other useful enchantments and then uh the only other trident i've got with riptide has been riptide 2 and i really want the strongest possible effect because i want to be able to use it as a substitute for fireworks uh so it's it's been fun messing around with that stuff but um yeah, the, the other big news from my YouTube content was killing the Ender Dragon in my hardcore world, which is something that I'd set up in the, the previous week's videos by uh, building one of those honey block flying machines and going out to the outer islands first so I could get hold of Elytra. And with Elytra, the dragon fight is just a lot smoother. It's not necessarily easier because I don't think of the dragon fight as being particularly hard, but it means you can fly around and take out the crystals much easier you just have to shoot the caged ones either down through the top or up through the corner and then taking down the dragon when you can fly around you don't have to worry about fall damage you can get clear of enderman that you happen to look at by mistake i find the whole process goes a lot easier and so that was always my plan in the hardcore world to uh to make things a little bit easier on myself to avoid the risk of being thrown up into the air and not having a slow fall potion or not being quick enough with the bucket of water and manage to uh, manage to take down the dragon. My next move in the hardcore world is probably going to be 
making a mob farm in a desert. I'm going to be working on that a little bit later today. And the purpose of that really is to avoid getting too many zombie spawns. This is a really useful tip that I picked up. And I think people have done a while ago, but people have maybe fallen out of the habit of it or wanted a more even output from their mob farms, is that the game has obviously like percentages of mobs that it tries to spawn in each area. Say, just for the sake of simplicity, that a, a biome will spawn creepers, spiders, uh, zombies and skeletons, right? The kind of four basic mobs that you're going to find in caves most often. Um, it will try and spawn those pretty evenly. So, you know, out of four mobs, the, the likelihood is one of them is going to be one of those each four categories. In deserts, that is different because it tries to spawn 80% of the zombies as husks. But the cool thing is, because husks have to spawn on the surface, you can actually create a mob farm in a desert, cover the entire thing over so that, you know, there is a block above it, and then husks aren't going to spawn in the mob farm because it thinks it's underground. But then it doesn't compensate for the lack of husks by adding more zombies back in. So that way you can build a mob farm in a desert and you get a higher output of some of the other mobs, or at least you get less rotten flesh, which is probably the most useless mob drop out of all of them, because the game is compensating for the fact that you've got a, a husk environment that you can't spawn husks in and it just doesn't bother spawning them. So potentially that way I can get a higher concentration of bones and gunpowder and string and the stuff that I feel like is going to be more useful to me at that stage. And then maybe I'll look into making a, a drowned farm or something like that and that's how I'll get my rotten flesh later, but I'll also be getting copper and tridents and everything else. I Is there a benefit to having a mob farm in the desert beyond that like do, do more mobs spawn in, in the desert or is that just a an older myth i mean about I, minecraft i i think it's more you notice mobs spawning in the desert more frequently because it's so open and right you know because it's open and flat and you can see for miles and that's that's typically why speedrunners would go to a desert looking for endermen is because they stand out against the scenery and it's possible to see right. them from a, a greater distance but you don't get any increase in spawn rates but you just get a decrease in zombies and right. yeah not Percentage. wanting to deal with as many zombies in the mob farm that's probably where i'm going to start my base of operations uh, i have a pretty easy link out to the desert from a nether hub that i'm building on the roof of the nether uh, so it's nice and accessible to me, even though the the nearest desert is a really long way away. Um, yeah, outside of that, though, this week was an interesting one for me because I was co-hosting a an official Twitch Rivals event. They had a Hermitcraft-themed Twitch Rivals called Hermit Raiders uh, back on August 5th, which was effectively a six-team um, like game mode that they'd custom made for Twitch rivals centered around pillager raids and there were multiple raids that they had to do and on each subsequent round the raid got harder and the trigger for the raid changed as well so it started off like a fairly standard you know go to the outpost kill the pillager captain come back to a village a bunch of pillagers arrive i think the difficulty increased in terms of you know in-game difficulty on each raid as well but it started off on easy so fairly straightforward you know trap the mobs in boats throw lava buckets on them that kind of stuff and then they had a limited amount of time to gear up each round and then on subsequent rounds the raid got harder on the third round the way you triggered the raid changed completely because you had to 
jump on a pressure plate at the end of a parkour course to start the raid. And so that was already throwing a bit of a curveball in there. And then when all of the mobs spawned, they were basically zombies reskinned to look like the hermits. <laughs> and so like the, the, the whole wave of the raid was completely different. The mobs that they were dealing with and there was you know, Azuma would come in riding a zombie horse or something and it looked like all of the other contestants had invaded each other's worlds. So that was fun, uh, a fun twist by the game makers. And then on subsequent rounds, it was, you know, more difficult conditions to trigger the raid. They'd have to pillar up to a an island in the sky or the last round they had to get a creeper to be shot by a skeleton to drop a music disc so that they could trigger a dance party in town and that's when the raid started. And they, they, there were some really inventive ways of um kind of setting up the raids each time and then the final boss of the final raid was the wither and so they just chucked a wither in there apropos of nothing and and so it was it was really fun to see them kind of adapt to that but the whole time the event was being hosted by uh professional esports hosts uh bryce tacular and veracity and me and joe hills from hermitcraft were on commentary so we were kind of providing a bit of context for the on-screen action that the uh the the professional broadcasters might be less familiar with as not necessarily like minecraft experts um and eventually iskal's team xb crafted and captain sparkles on his team uh won and took first place uh and then gemini tay fwhip and ijevin took second place so personally i call that a win for the empires server <laughs> because gem nice. and Whip are both on empires with me so um yeah it was a really a really fun event to be a part of and a really interesting experience for me as somebody who's never done like professional broadcasts of events before there was like a whole production team working behind the scenes like giving us notes in our ears and stuff every time we go to a break but uh really fun event and uh would really like to be a part of future twitch rival stuff if they do more minecraft things in future that's really cool. Have you have you given much thought before to like doing like shout casting for different Minecraft events or any kind of like any video game really? Is that is that just something that kind of fell in your lap or was it something you were seeking out to do? It's, some, it's something that the hermits themselves invited me to do because of, you know, having a, a pre-existing relationship with them both through the recap and through stuff like Clash of the Creators where I've usually been a contestant and they've never really had anybody kind of shout casting the entire thing. It's something I've only really done myself once when I was hosting the uh, Minecraft Dungeons speedrunning contest. That was the only time I'd really been solely on commentary without commentating my own gameplay. Uh, so I had a modest amount of experience for that. But that was an event that I kind of hosted and orchestrated myself with a little bit of help from the, the speedrunner community themselves. So this was my first time, you know, not being the one in charge of making sure everything went according to plan and whatnot uh so so that was that was a, a a bit of a change of pace but um it is something that yeah i would like to do in future i don't think i could do it for any games other than minecraft and i really like to be the person with the knowledge about this stuff and so i feel like i'm i'm best on commentary rather than hosting an entire event like that but i think it was uh, still a really great experience I've I've watched a friend do it before with um, Heroes of the Storm, which is very similar to like League of Legends. Yeah, and yeah. The, um, Dota, that kind it's, of. It's thing. a MOBA and kind of game, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. The the amount of game knowledge for not just how you play, but how everyone plays the game, like character abilities, and like I, I can only imagine even something in Minecraft with PvP, like you have to know all the different enchants, all the different sword types, all the different. Uh, like trident things like a lot of stuff i don't really touch tridents in game that much i just have not had much of a use for them yet and mm -hmm. and so to to commentate on 
a, a match like this or any kind of thing like strategy and how they're doing that like you you require a, a large and deep amount of knowledge of that specific game uh, yeah. which is really cool i'd imagine it was also really fun because like, you get personalities like iskal and gemini tay uh, and whip iJevin like you get them all in a competitive space with their friends from Hermitcraft and 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 adjacent servers I would imagine that hilarity would ensue when you have like you know zombie Izuma void coming at you yeah. the reactions and stuff must have been pretty fun yeah they were cutting to the players reactions a lot they also cut to interviews with some of them in between matches and one of the first people they had on was Doc M and Doc M was saying like oh you know Iskel watch out I'm coming for you kind of thing and then they got nice. a reaction from Iskel and Iskel was like Doc's just like that when we get into events like this just kind of like shaking his head you know and Iskel <laughs> ended up winning and I was like yeah I, I can I can see this being something they're gonna <laughs> they're gonna maybe have words about when they when they get back on hermitcraft but the, the whole event was set up so the prize pool was much more evenly distributed between the teams than a, an event like this because they're all friends on the hermitcraft server and they didn't want anyone to lose out so it was a, a fun event all around um let's move on to the news this week which honestly there isn't a whole lot there is a a, a bit of news re related to bedrock edition um but honestly it's been a bit of a, a slow news week so we had minecraft beta 1.17.30.20 arriving for bedrock edition but this is mostly just a few bug fixes mostly related to uh the light blocks barriers accessibility features a couple of parity fixes stuff like that um and if you want a full change log that's on feedback.minecraft.net we'll have that linked in the show notes but I didn't see anything hugely significant, nothing related to the development of 1.18, no kind of extra features hidden in the the experimental gameplay tab for folks to play with, so uh, hopefully we'll see a bit more of that. I think a lot of the team is on holiday right now, which is also potentially why we're not seeing a huge amount of updates. Um, we also had a marketplace partnership with MLB, uh, the baseball organization from the United States. We'll have a link to that in Minecraft.net, but there is a marketplace map made by the Misfits Society, and the description says, join in your favorite Major League Baseball team and swing for the fences in a fast-paced home run competition. Pick from all 30 MLB teams and test your reflexes and accuracy in every MLB ballpark faithfully recreated in Minecraft. And I thought this was probably worth sharing just for the folks in the States who are into baseball and Minecraft. I imagine this will be uh, a really interesting merging of both of your, your interests. So check it out on the Minecraft Marketplace. Last but not least is a quick hit from the Minecraft YouTube channel, Ask Mojang Number 19, a deep dive into dungeons. It's a short little four minute video with uh, David Nishagen, executive producer, Laura DeLorenz, game designer, and Christian Bjork Grimberg. I hope I got all of your names right uh, as the QA lead from Minecraft Dungeons uh, on that team. And the questions about the mobs, in-game music, and the new enchantments and how new things are decided on when they're added to Minecraft Dungeons were all great questions. There was a, a, a silly social question at the, stop, at the top, like what Minecraft Dungeons character would you like to go to dinner with? And it's the only one. It's it, At first I thought, oh gosh, is this gonna be worth watching? And it is, it's a, it's a great little four minute video. Uh, you can just check it out, get, get some insight into how they uh, attempt to bring things into Minecraft Dungeons. There's a little bit of lore talked about and it does sound like they're going to do more deep dive into dungeons on these Ask Mojang videos in the future. So that's good. Yeah, it sounds great. And I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how dungeons evolves from this point, because they've definitely said that they are not done with that game. And honestly, I've I've picked up a bit more dungeons just kind of casually in, you know, 
odd minutes here and there. Uh, I, I briefly flirted with the idea of starting a ranged-only character and then discovered that was much less fun than a melee-only character. I spent most of my time trying to scavenge for arrows and there are a few mobs that get enchantments that have, you know, arrow deflection built into them so you really can't make any progress at a certain point. But uh, yeah, I, I had a bit of fun with Minecraft Dungeons, playing a more casual playthrough and going back through to find some of the the weapons and armor and stuff that I had just rejected because it didn't work for my playstyle at the time. But yeah, great to see the Dungeons team obviously getting to answer some of those questions and hopefully we'll see a little bit more action from them uh, maybe before the end of the year at this point. It's still only August, so time will tell. So I am not the biggest baseball fan. Um, however, I know a lot of very happy nerds that are, and mm -hmm. I can only imagine if you're baseball fandom crosses over with minecraft then the L mlb partnership is probably pretty cool yeah yeah I, I think it's um again it's not something i'm the target audience for but it really gives you some perspective on minecraft being the biggest video game in the world when you see partnerships with just baseball <laughs> you know i mean it's effectively what mlb is i mean baseball isn't played too widely outside of the united states um as evidenced by them calling it the World Series. Uh, so I, I think it's it's really cool to see basically like the home of baseball and Minecraft collaborating on stuff like this. And there have been some recent partnerships like, you know, Sonic the Hedgehog and, um, you know, DreamWorks movie features like How to Train Your Dragon and Minions had maps. There was Disney maps. There were clothing lines like Uniqlo uh, making you know, skin packs for the Minecraft marketplace. It's it's really quite cool. And obviously a lot of this is done with groups of creators whose job it is to create professional maps for the Minecraft marketplace. And so a lot of those people are coming from the community when they design these uh, skin packs and, and Minecraft maps to begin with. And it's really cool to see partnerships like that coming up uh, for, for Minecraft because... I mean, this is <laughs> this is the world's best-selling game at this point. So these are the kind of collaborations that are open to them. It's it's fascinating to see what they do with it. I'm pretty sure I've seen Jurassic Park and Star Wars in the last yeah. year as yeah, well. Exactly. Just for there's, mini maps and things like that. There was a Jurassic yeah. World map a while back. Yeah. So yeah, really, really quite cool stuff. And uh, yeah, I I think for people who are fans of baseball who you know have gone to games or you know follow their team or follow the entire league it must be really interesting to see the accuracy that is put into maps of you know these teams fields like their their kind mm -hmm. of home turf is going to be such an interesting thing i expect the same would be true of you know you recreate football stadiums here in the uk i, I can imagine people would be able to identify which was theirs out of like a list of random screenshots because people are just that fanatical about that stuff so it's it's great for fans i i i'm you know made up for people who are who are into minecraft and um and baseball it's also apparently like the first really like athletics um themed minecraft map that's been out there and goodness knows how they've been able to do like the baseball mechanics of it but uh you know it's the kind of thing that with the Olympics going on right now or, or finishing up right now, it's obviously, you know, athletics and sports and stuff are on people's minds more than ever. So it'll be interesting to see if this map gets a decent amount of traction in the community, even from people who aren't normally uh, baseball fans. I think, too, that there's a lot of uh, reverence uh, around some baseball uh, fields like um, Fenway Park. Yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. Uh, like really famous like landmarks that have been around for a very long time and have a lot of history and uh, for uh, I think a lot of baseball fans my, my my parents used to live in Boston 
and they um they they've become uh, dual fans. They obviously were Canadian Blue Jay fans, but they're also Boston Red Sox fans. And I don't know what happens in the house when the Blue Jays play the Red Sox. I have no, no clue. Um, but they uh, they were even excited to go to a live uh, ball game when they had a chance. So I would imagine that you know when you have that kind of steeped history, that that seeing these builds as maps would be a real treat. I know I would feel the same way about like you know seeing my hometown represented in Minecraft or mm-hmm. seeing a place that I had been, you know, like a, a famous landmark, like say the CN Tower or something in Toronto. You know, seeing that to scale in Minecraft would be just, it would just be cool. You know, you just, you have that like really kind of real world connection, uh, especially when it's something local to you, which would be, would be really, really cool. Moving on into email. If you'd like to send an email into the show, you can use spawnchunkmail at gmail.com for that. Please use that email address. It's the only one that we check. Our email this week is from Kathy G with an I. World Generation with Henrik Nieberg. Hello, Johnny and Joel. I just finished listening to your recent episode and I really enjoyed it. So interesting to hear from Henrik on the development side of things. Regarding the thought about making Minecraft terrain variable in the vanilla game with data packs, I had a similar thought on it, but I thought more to expanding the world options in the generation settings. For example, giving a builder of large projects the option to have world generation mountain terrain with different level of plateaus that provide a nice accessible building space, like a Bob Ross Panorama Dream painting, or something that does the opposite, generating amplified terrain, but less shattered and more like the Alpine Dream. Or let you combine old surface and new caves, or new mountains and old underground, all with the new world height, etc. I know this means more options in the UI, but as a user experience designer myself, I think it would be very possible and satisfying to choose from. What are your thoughts on it? I'm such a big fan of the show. Pixel Rift's videos were my welcome guide to the Minecraft universe as the pandemic started in March of 2020. I also like Joel's build style a lot. You're both awesome. Thanks for entertaining us listeners so brilliantly. Kindest regards, Kathy, who fell from a high place while trying to escape a tactical tickle. (laughs) <laughs> this is an Etho reference, I think. That's why he is used it? the name tag of his Endemites in uh, the last season of Hermitcraft. So, well, well <laughs> okay, done, cool. well done, Kathy, for uh, pitching a, uh, a Hermitcraft reference that might have gone over people's heads if it hadn't been for me watching Etho pretty much religiously all of last season of Hermitcraft. Um, yeah, I, I, I do love the idea of world customization options being more available to players and we talked about this with Henrik and he said that it probably won't be a priority for a while Uh, there used to be world customization options back as far as I think 1.9 or so and I think those only really really started getting phased out around the time the update Aquatic came in Um, I might be misremembering exactly when the updates changed things but there were definitely some different approaches to terrain being worked on at that point um and yeah i i can see them not being a priority for a while as they you know the the terrain that we're looking at right now is still kind of in its infancy as regards it being the norm in minecraft um but i agree that a a set of fine tuning controls um is more accessible than coding things from data packs like having some sort of user interface instead of expecting players to you know code their way through it is potentially going to be better it's you know much easier to drag around a series of sliders or something like that or you know click a couple of buttons the way we do with our video settings when we're fine-tuning stuff Uh, and this used to be the way it worked with custom world generation as well 
what about you, Joel? Do you think that it needs more of a, a UI approach to it? I was thinking about this, and as much as a slider and and that kind of a UI would make sense in, in giving players this kind of granular control, I kind of wonder whether that just becomes another difficult setting to understand, mm -hmm. especially if you have to like change the slider that changes the decimal point. Um, because if it works the exact same way that the code works, that might not be as intuitive for people that are just wanting to play Minecraft with different landscape generation, you know? Um, so something that goes from like, you know, 0 0.01 all the way up to one with all of those little, you know, micro settings in between and how that affects the game being very drastic might not be the best way to go. And I mean, I don't know how it would work. I'm kind of speculating here. Um, whereas, you know, a slider that goes one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, ten being extreme, one being not, that might be a little bit more easy to digest. Uh, yeah. but then to go even, yeah, but then to go even further, I'm a visual person and I really prefer game settings where they give you a clear idea about what's going to happen. So I think just sliding something back and forth and then having to generate a world to see what happens is still not the best experience as a user. I would like to see some sort of graphic representation. It could be pixel art. You know, I'm thinking about the images that you see so wonderfully crafted from uh, the the promotional teams when they did like those little skit videos with animated um, Agnes and Jens, you know, mm -hmm. when you can see how the Minecraft mountains would look in theory. It's not exact, but it gives you kind of an impression about what they wanted to do. And it reminded me of the starting screen for Satisfactory, which is a factory game that I play. And it's not world gen, but it gives you four different starting zones. There's the grassy plains, there's a rocky desert, there's a dune desert, and then there's the northern forest. And each one has an image of the environment that you'd be starting the game in, as long, along with a description of like, this is flat and your resources are far away. This is mountainous and your resources are everywhere, but hard to get to, like that kind of a thing. And I think having some presets where it's just like, do you want lots of mountains and hard to get to places? Do you want flat rolling hills with mountains being very hard and rare to find? Do you want, you know, I, I mean, insert a couple of other options here, but like, you know, three or four prefab settings to be like, do you want wide open spaces to do big builds or do you not care? And you plan on spending most of your time underground, uh, click this one and have mostly mountains and caves. Like, in addition to obviously just having a regular Minecraft world that you could just, you know, say like, not, not interested in any of those specifics. I can just go with a vanilla generated, however, uh, and, and roll the dice. And I think that might be a really interesting way to go. Like no sliders, just like four or five big images on the screen. Pick one. Which one do you want to try out today? I think that mm -hmm. might be a, a fun way to go. Yeah, um, ha it, having a few more of those kind of presets and stuff, I think makes a little bit more sense. I think, I mean, most players at this stage, especially are just going to want to start a default world because they're going to want what the default experience is before they figure out what they want to change about it yeah. and with, with with so much about world generation potentially changing again these are still experimental snapshots but we are led to believe that's the direction mojang is going with terrain gen for 1.18 i expect a lot of people are just going to be getting used to that before they figure out what they want to modify about it and Right now, I don't see that many people using the presets that exist in Minecraft's custom world GUI. Like, they, they have a few different options there. There was... I, I can't remember if they're still even called the same thing, but there's one that's like a, a desert world that's more of a flat world for redstone builds with a little bit of height to it so that you can dig into the ground and, and build above that. There is, like, a cave-only preset, which has terrain generate all the way up to the top. 
um and you spawn in a cave and and a lot of the same terrain will generate but it'll be you know covered over by this canopy of of dirt and stone there's obviously a void world which i think is the only one that people typically use but that comes with the problem of it being a void biome as well so you don't typically get spawn rates and stuff and you don't you don't necessarily have the best uh options to test things and then from there you have the buffet world generation of pick a biome pick a type of terrain and then every single piece of terrain you find is all a lush cave or a desert or a river or whatever and so i think there's um there's options like that that feel very piecemeal to players right now and never really provide something that you could use for a full survival experience they don't really feel like modifications of the default world so much as just environments for experimentation more than anything else and that might be good for creative players especially but uh, for the the folks of us who are interested in survival play it tends to be uh, I, I feel a little bit lackluster now yeah and i feel like too that you know modding and 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 the modding community would probably want more granular control whereas players are probably I don't want to say indifferent to it, but it's not really high on their list, as yeah. you mentioned. Yeah, and there's also a huge community of map makers out there. So if anybody wants something different, then they can download a world that's been, you know, sculpted by somebody using World Edit and Voxel Sniper and everything else. And you know, most of the time, those are set up with vanilla world generation. So if you dig down the right, you know, amount, you find ores in the same places, or maybe you find some secrets that they've hidden and. That's the kind of stuff that if you want a, a slightly more organic terrain generation that feels more natural, you can find all sorts of stuff like that. If you want something that's pre-built in a bizarre way, you can probably find that as well. Um, when it comes to the the UI, I, I don't know how easy it would be to visualize stuff because you'd end up with quite a large area needing to be represented before you got a good idea of how the changes you'd made were going to affect the world. I'm thinking about, you know how a shattered savannah looks compared to a plains you've got to be able to show mm. that range in the the descriptions that you're giving it but i think even a few descriptive words instead of numerical sliders would make a bit more sense if you wanted to have something that you toggled between smooth bumpy rough and then extreme or something like that that might give you a better idea of you know the amount of noise that's in the vertical terrain and maybe that would help guide players through the experience a little better than you know, scrolling it from 10.0 to 50.0 and not knowing what that did. And they, I mean, you could have some fun with that too. You know, like you could have it be like Axlotl Paradise or I hope you're a goat. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. this is going to be some difficult train to, to traverse, you know. I hope you're a goat is definitely <laughs> definitely a good one. I hope they're, I hope they're taking <laughs> notes about that one. But uh, yeah, thank you for the email, Kathy. And it's always nice to see that there is some interest in this stuff from the Minecraft community. This is really how Mojang knows, you know, what, what the community is asking for is when questions like this get generated, people ask for it on, you know, the Minecraft suggestions Reddit or, you know, people email into us and then we can, you know, do our best to, to, to broadcast the, the feedback people are giving and and see uh see who else answers the call uh but we've been doing this for three years now uh speaking of the broadcast and we decided that we would spend a bit of today's show talking about our highlights from the last three years of both minecraft and the podcast itself so this might get a little bit meta here and there uh, but for folks who've been listening to us for the past three years once again thank you 
Uh, and for people who've been tuning in a little bit more recently and maybe aren't supporting us on Patreon, you might get a little bit more of what our quarterly hangout listeners get. Uh, so for folks who support us on Patreon for a little while, we do a uh, a hangout every three months where we give people a bit of the, uh, <laughs> to, to bring this back to the MLB map, the inside baseball of exactly what's going on behind the scenes of the show. Uh, you know, we get into listenership numbers and and that kind of thing and uh, we passed a really significant milestone lately which i'm sure joel is excited to share with you guys exactly to to start things off with some podcasting uh, milestones uh just over one million downloads hey. in the last month yeah uh that happened kind of i was anticipating it to happen later on this summer uh, but it happened quite quickly. So we mentioned it on the show, I think, a, a couple of weeks ago. But yeah, that uh, is a milestone for me personally, as well as for the show as as a professional podcaster. That's the first time that anything that I've been a hand in has reached that kind of, of download number. Uh, it's a big number. And it, on one hand, you're like, wow, that's really cool. And then if you think about it too much, you're like, wow, <laughs> that's a lot. That's a lot of downloads. Um, but it works out to be around 48,000 downloads a month or 12,000 downloads a week, which is just, it's a really heartwarming uh, number uh, to know that that many people are interested in what Johnny and I have to say, that the podcast continues to grow, continues to catch on. Uh, we were not averaging 12K downloads a week, even in and near the end of 2020. That mm -hmm. This has been a growth. Um, we hit 10K around that time. And then we've been growing up to, I think, averaging now this month around 13K downloads a week. So like it's it's continuing to grow, which is a really encouraging thing as a, as a content creator. So, uh, I mean, that has just been a, a lot of fun. Um, what have been some of the highlights for you in the last little while, Johnny? I mean, in terms of the spawn chunks, I think obviously getting the developers and other content creators to sit down with us on the show and talk about Minecraft has been fantastic. And it's it's always great to uh, talk with like-minded folks anyway, but uh, a lot of the people we've had on the show who, who are kind of like us have been able to talk about Minecraft all day long. Uh, it's always been fascinating to get their perspective. We've had Minecraft educators on the show. We've had regular Minecraft players, now the developers. And I think it's going to be really exciting to see who else we can get to join us on the show um but the community is obviously such a big part of this as well and i think seeing our discord community grow into a place for minecraft discussion uh, excitement over the latest snapshots um a pretty helpful redstone troubleshooting community for both java and bedrock players and as a place to share really awesome looking builds and screenshots and everything i think that's that's always uh, a really delightful thing to see um, as as a content creator myself, I mean, this has been my full-time job now for the last two years um, in terms of making YouTube content, the podcast, the Hermitcraft recap, and streaming. Minecraft is such a big part of my life now, and we've seen the last five updates, basically, since we started this show. Uh, we started right when the update Aquatic came out, and... Uh, talking about how much we liked bubble columns and stuff. Do we still like bubble columns, Joel? Are bubble columns still your jam? <laughs> Actually, you know, I still really enjoy setting up water streams and bubble columns. I I have worked a way to just in Minecraft lore in my own modern city to say like elevators are going to be water elevators. And I don't mm -hmm. know how people deal with being wet all the time, but that's just how it goes because I just could not think of a different way to get up to the top of a, of a 12 story high rise built in Minecraft block for block without multiple water elevators taking me up and down, uh, including fall elevators, which is how I get back down uh, because I have yet to find a use for the magma down bubble column 
it's yeah. far too slow. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't really have a use for it other than maybe a mob farm I might try sometime. But like, I just, I haven't figured it out. But yeah, I really, I would say like, you know, just to, to get into a little bit of Minecraft stuff, like the highlights for me, uh, I still think that the water mechanic changes uh, in the update aquatic from a technical standpoint really have changed the way that I approach moving things around. They're just fun. I like seeing them. I don't hide the waterways very often if I don't have to behind things. Like I tend to want to see that kind of stuff flying around, having items shoot up somewhere, having them slowly drift down, uh, all that kind of stuff I, I find really, really cool. And so um, those have been kind of part of my kind of like Minecraft vocabulary for, for quite some time and and high up there. Like I, I tend to think about using those before I think about using dropper elevators or, or moving items around with I don't really move items around with hoppers anymore unless I have to and uh, I don't know whether that's just like a, a lag consideration thing or whether it's just like it just seems so we'll call it old school and it just it's 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 much more entertaining I think and provides some more design challenges I think to use water to move things around so yeah um, I think but, visually it's so cool as well like being able to see mm-hmm. items going around like a, a factory production line almost I think there's there's something visually very very appealing to using water streams for that anytime that you can add motion into Minecraft mm-hmm. is usually a good thing like even yeah. if it's something really simple it usually adds a lot for example having you know campfire smoke coming out of chimneys you know like yeah. just it, it adds just enough life to a, a medieval town that you don't feel like it's just like a little lego build that doesn't do anything it there's just enough of it in the, in the environment because because you do have things like you know the sun going over the build and the light changing during the day uh going from n- lamp lights not really showing up much to them being the only light source in the town like that kind of stuff like having any kind of change that you can visually track in the game which is usually quite static is, is I think a, a key thing for sure. Um, I know that um, for me, another big thing in Minecraft over the last few years has been another update. And while I haven't spent a lot of time exploring it, I did spend a lot of time talking about it on the show. And for me, it was not just how cool it was, um, but more of just seeing what's really capable in Minecraft now, like what what could be changing in the future. And when they did the aquatic update, you're like, wow, that was really something. And then when they did the nether update, you're like, that's really something as well. But also this opens up all kinds of possibilities for the future of this game. Like you're like, this is, if anybody is thinking that Minecraft doesn't have any legs, like just look at the nether update and then think about the future. And you know that this is going to be around for a very long time. Yeah, um, the the question comes up a lot in the you know, my twitch streams and comments and stuff about what update i thought was the best and like aside from the usual joke answer i give which is this one because it's got all of the stuff the previous updates have i really think the update aquatic and the nether update are two of the big ones because they have such enormous visual change and if anybody played minecraft before 1.13 you know that the oceans used to just be boring homogenous gravel beds without really any life to them when they added ocean monuments that was something but those were fewer and further between than you would have liked and then they got into sub biomes with coral reefs and shipwrecks and drowned ruins and kelp everywhere and suddenly it felt a lot more organic a lot more alive and you were talking about adding in motion to stuff just having fish swimming around that weren't just squid you know uh i think that that really changed a lot about the way the oceans felt 
having turtles swimming past and cod and everything i think was such a smart move although obviously it left a little bit of lag in its wake i do think it's it's a really neat way of you know, creating an ecosystem within the ocean, creating something that feels like it is teeming with life in the way that an ocean should be. And the same approach happened to the Nether update. You got an ecosystem there. You got the addition of trees uh, of, a, of a fashion um, and, and a bunch of different creatures. You got a bit more lore from the, the zombie piglin side of things. And you got a Nether that felt vibrant and alive again when previously it had become a very flat... I mean, <laughs> not in terms of its verticality, but in, in terms of its... Um, you know its overall vibe i feel like it's it's so much more of a a destination feeling now there are so many more reasons to go to the nether than there used to be where it used to just be you know a zombie pigman gold farm and a nether hub so you could get somewhere else and maybe some quartz <laughs> if you needed some quartz that badly but i think it's it's so different looking at uh worlds from back then which obviously with the survival guide i was playing in 1.13 for several years, I mean, the the Nether looked the same, and then when one sixteen arrived, the Nether just looked totally different. After that, it's it's night and day. Yeah, on the the Citadel, which is now four years old, uh, we haven't seen a lot of the Nether updates. We did trim the chunks back as close as we could to our Nether hub, but most of the time in the Nether, because of how old the hub is, we just spend time walking through tunnels to get from one place to the next. One thing I'm looking forward to as We've built out these new zones like the medieval area and the modern city. The modern city is close enough to our original hub that the nether is about the same. It's actually part of the network. Uh, but the medieval area is 10,000 blocks away on the overworld. And any of the other areas that we've kind of mapped out on the server, uh, things like mushroom islands that are far away, they're much farther away. So any adventure into the nether in those areas, if you built a portal and went in a new, which we haven't done yet at all, uh, will be that 116, all brand new chunks, no idea what biomes and dangers are going to be there. Uh, hopefully a little bit easier because we'll have end game gear, but it will be a unique experience going into those areas in the nether. And it'll be kind of fun to see what kind of like lore and exploration, and it'll be fun to build in the nether updates in those areas because we won't have to go building and looking for necessary resources like we have a gold farm we have a wither skeleton farm we don't need a lot of quartz we can trade with piglin for that now like we can just go into the nether and just explore and build like mm -hmm. it, it could be a completely organic experience without the need to like get stuff and just progress so that's going to be a really uh, a really interesting take uh could be really fun for the medieval fantasy area where like we might need like a dark you know like an evil lair or like a dark cave or something that might lead to some nefarious dimensional transitions that could be kind of fun actually um with with regards to like the progression of the game for me personally i really find that while i'm still learning i feel like i've hit a stride in building with minecraft in the last three years that i didn't early on um i got the gist of how to build in the game but comparing it to my illustration career and, and my art um you develop kind of like a shorthand like a visual library of tools when I draw, like I know how to draw characters in certain positions. I know how to do certain facial expressions. I have kind of like a, a repertoire of like eyeballs and eyelids and hands and things that I can kind of like work into my drawings and have them come out the way that I want more often than not. And I'm starting to find that I hit that stride with Minecraft now because of how often I've been playing because of streaming and increased kind of like, um, 
we'll call it a, a, a propel into the community because of the podcast. Uh, I've become more involved and and am able to talk to and and uh, hang out and see more people and be consuming more things because of course I'm obviously keeping up on everything in the game for the show. It also means that I'm just I'm soaking in more things as a player. And so I go to build a house and I'm just like I could look up reference for this, but I can I can probably wing it and have it be okay. You know, like I have enough roofs and chimneys, I have enough redstone circuits uh, memorized that I no longer have to look up everything. And that's a good feeling. Like when you're into the game to the point where like, ah, I want to do something cool. I'd imagine you probably had this feeling with your uh, current desert build on the Empire SMP uh, because uh, I was watching one of your videos recently and like the color palette and the the use of blocks requires that like steeped knowledge of Minecraft because it all just works so well together. Have you found that you've kind of hit that stride? Was it, I guess, probably for you maybe before the last three years? Yeah, I... I I've always thought of it as like I've come into the fullness of my powers in Minecraft mm-hmm. every every so often I kind of get that feeling of like when the vision you have for a project in your head really clicks with what you're doing in game and I think a lot of that honestly owes to a bit more technical knowledge now because I'm able to use that to acquire a lot of the materials that I tend to want to build with, like being able to build a giant cobblestone farm allows me to then build with as much stone as I want to. Whereas I think my approach before had always been a bit more of a scavenger's approach to things. And, you know, maybe I'd go strip mining every once in a while and I'd get as much material as I could that way. But I think I've really one-upped my previous minecraft gameplay by taking the last few years to learn a lot more about the technical side of minecraft and how you can use some of those mechanics to your advantage and i think amongst that we had changes in some of those mechanics that made them a lot more accessible i mean seeing villager mechanics in 1.14 becoming so much more user-friendly and some of the trade shifting around the introduction of a stonemason villager to java edition because i think a stonemason was in bedrock edition before that but you got to have access to blocks like quartz more readily without having to go into the nether to get it and you know there, there were a few different things that made some of those blocks a lot more accessible but then yeah once i knew a little bit more about the game itself and about how to get a decent amount of bone meal so that I could grow as many trees as I wanted to and farm wood and that kind of stuff. I I started to feel a lot more capable of doing what I wanted to do, not just in terms of the vision, but in terms of actually getting the resources in the first place. Acquiring them in a survival world started to feel a little bit better. And, and of course, so many of those blocks having been added more recently, you were talking about the desert builds, I think the key to that whole set of builds really is having copper as an accent block and the amazing gradient that copper provides i think 1.17 even with everything we're waiting for in part two when it comes to the terrain generation stuff has provided some really beautiful blocks and mechanics to work with and i've spent so much of my recent empires series focusing on copper and the copper aging process just thematically that has carried me through everything that i wanted to build in terms of putting together honey farms and honeycomb and and all of that stuff going alongside that it really gives you a direction if you just want to focus on one or two materials it kind of guides you through the game from there and i find too that you know now being a a part of the larger minecraft community whereas before i was like kind of 
watching and, and playing, but I was more on the outside. And now that I have a dialogue, you know, with you and, and with um, Whip and, and other creators, um, especially creators that I've looked up to, like Impulse SV and, and, and Zumovoid, that we've had a chance to actually have on the show and have a conversation with. And that kind of touch tone has really kind of helped me, you know, kind of like wrap my head around the game, not just in terms of like how to build or the styles to build in, but more like a broader approach, you know, like how creators that are doing this professionally constantly come up with new stuff and and move from season to season of massive you know um youtube servers like hermitcraft and things like that it's been really eye-opening to to see and get a glimpse as to how that works behind the scenes Mm -hmm. um but then also see how those creators minds work and know that as a like a professional creator myself with my illustration career that it's it like i can speak the same language i just had to learn how to talk Minecraft, you know? Yeah. And once, and once you kind of get that in there, uh, it, it becomes a really fun, like just water cooler conversation. It becomes so easy to just converse with everybody. Cause once you're in this game, I find that, uh, I've, I've even noticed sometimes bringing people that don't play Minecraft into the conversation can be easier than you think if you know how to relate it to people. And, and I find that, it's it's a nerdy conversation like you know that you're both geeking out about minecraft if you get into it with a friend but there's just something so accessible about it once you get past just a little bit of like block language and when people say like you know another star or fighting the wither like as long as you know what that is then you can really start to understand like the the finer conversations once you get the broader strokes and i find that's been really um part of my education over the last three years and just kind of like really getting into the game to a point where I'm not just messing about I'm actually Mm -hmm. more more I'm expressing myself with intent I guess has been the biggest shift in my own gameplay yeah yeah definitely like once you once you get past the jargonistic way that people talk about a lot of this stuff i think it it really starts to open up and hopefully that's something we've been able to do here on the podcast i feel like we get a little bit jargony more often than not but i feel like with the minecraft wiki as a resource hopefully people should be able to keep up with the discussions we have on here and i think it's it's a a great platform to be able to do that um the last thing i wanted to touch on really was like we've seen a lot of expansion of Minecraft as a brand for the last little while. We've had, obviously, aside from the the collaborations we were talking about earlier, we've had games like Minecraft Dungeons come through the pipeline, and I think that's now a pretty great addition to the Minecraft roster of games. Uh, on a slightly sadder note, we've seen Minecraft Earth come and go since we started this show. I think it was announced maybe like later that year on the year we started the show, but I think with it being playable having a bit of a life of its own and then eventually going away it was i think a sign that minecraft is still trying to kind of reach out to the cutting edge of a lot of this stuff much as the game still looks to a lot of people from the outside like something that belongs in the 2010s i think minecraft is still trying to work its way into some of the newer technology and figuring out what's next not just for vanilla minecraft but for gaming in general and still trying to pioneer in some fields where initially it was a pioneering survival game so i think that's really cool and again with the the future in mind at this point uh it's nice to have a retrospective but i am very curious to see if they have any future plans for expanding minecraft into other games and other genres of games 
We've also seen a board game as well. Mm, for the yeah, exactly. Uh, Builders and Biomes. I still need to play more of that. <laughs> um, <laughs> ho- hoping to get some friends around for uh, for board games relatively soon. Now that you know uh, we're all vaccinated yeah. and things are things are moving forward that that way. But yeah, board games and and merchandise and stuff, and just seeing a, an, an increase in quality, an increase in the amount of time people are spending perfecting stuff like this. Um, I'm not going to mention too much about the minecraft movie here just in case i'm (laughs) giving it the the commentator's curse but yeah that that is potentially on the horizon at some point as well really interested to see where the future of minecraft lies speaking of how the the minecraft universe is growing i would be remiss if we didn't mention how the community around the spawn chunks is growing and i mean granted it, it shares you know the community with minecraft but uh watching the discord grow and adapt around the spawn chunks into a very positive welcoming environment i think uh is it's just a place for just about every kind of minecraft player to find something to chat about like it doesn't you're not gonna you maybe you're not into redstone but there's lots of other things and lots of other people uh, hanging out and sharing their builds and sharing their experience and uh what i i admire so much about the people that are are in the the discord and and one of course thankful that they're supporting the show but also just like it's just so heartwarming during you know 18 plus months of a global pandemic to see just positivity like real people being real cool to one another uh and a lot of other things happening in the world it's just a nice refresher it's just a nice reminder that like yep things are okay you know, like it's, it's, it's a, it's a narrow window, I guess, in the grand scheme of things from a population, but, uh, biased as I may be, it's, it's been really heartwarming to know that that's centered around something that, that we're involved in. And, uh, I, I mean, I've even come to get to know a number of members of the community and call them friends. And that's, that's a win, you know, in terms of, uh, of a podcast and a podcast community. And that has, also, again, like, you you know, you end up with yet more people to talk with Minecraft about that influence your gameplay and how you see the game and see what other people care about in the game. Like, I before I got into this community, I it's not like I didn't care about Bedrock, but I didn't have a reason to. And now, you know, I, I mean, I'm more curious about it. I have more questions. I talk to people more about it sometimes, ask the, dif- the differences and uh, have to be able to field those questions on, on streams. And so just having just some kind, knowledgeable, fun, spirited people, you know, in the community has, has been a really nice treat, uh, on the cap of doing the podcast. Absolutely. And that seems like the right sort of note to end it on. So I'm going to tell you how to join the ranks of those wonderful, kind and intelligent people in our Discord after I say you can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff we've talked about today at the Spawn Chunks. The music for the show was, of course, composed by me. The Spawn Chunks is very proud, as you've heard, to be a listener-supported podcast. And if you're getting some value out of the show, you can consider putting some value back in and joining our community via patreon.com slash thespawnchunks. Pledging at any level gets you an invite to our patrons-only Discord chat. You can listen to the show live as it is recorded every week. And it also gets us closer to our future goals of having a monthly Minecraft audio hangout with our listeners. We're currently at 264. Four patrons love it when the number ends in 64 it's just minecraft triggers in my brain uh which is up five from last week thank you so much to everybody new who has hopped on board in the last little while and special thanks go out to our content engineers as always general pattern 82 hunter 555 jumbo sale magma cube dude and yitz thank you for your support on this episode
Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram, but a personal recommendation is by far the best way to share the podcast. Just poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance and tell them to listen to The Spawn Chunks, and they can find it on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, YouTube, even Reason FM, basically wherever you can find a podcast. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. The RSS feed is linked on the spawnchunks.com, and the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to the Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixorifs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash where my Empire's SMP, Hardcore Survival Guide, and RTX Survival Series are all ongoing. I stream three days a week on Twitch, doing behind-the-scenes work for my YouTube content, and I'm also the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick search on YouTube. Aside from that, I'm at Pixorifs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything I'm doing online, including my illustration and design portfolio, is at joelduggan.com. The Citadel Cafe is my other podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment. Huge show this week talking about Masters of the Universe Revelation with my friend Megan, so check that out. You can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and, of course, Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I am threatening, I mean promising, to do some art streams this week. (laughs) Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, and it's three years older. (laughs) 